0: Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. Well, that's oh. where we'll start. We can discuss offline of of the rest of it. Well,
1: this is not by this is not from Solomon. So,
0: proceed. We are reading Proverbs 31 this morning, the last Proverbs. the words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him son, and what, O son of my womb, and what, O son of my bowels, do not give your strength to women or your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink, for they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his trouble no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships, she brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff. And her hands grasp the spindle She extends her hand to the poor And she stretches out her hands to the needy She is not afraid of the snow for her her household For all her household are clothed with scarlet She makes coverings for herself Her clothing is fine linen and purple Her husband is known in the gates When he sits among the elders of the land She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, My daughters have done nobly, But you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. What
1: a wonderful passage. You know, when you look at a warrior, you, you know, you, the man, the warrior, you expect strength, um, uh, also integrity in his strength and um, his chivalry. But the woman, you know, uh, is not a man. Her virtues are in her grace and is, a, is a beautiful. I think, I think when I do um, another wedding, I think I'll, I'll read this, this passage very good um welcome grace chapel bible church today uh we will um continue uh, as far as prayer continue to keep uh amy's dad in prayers uh he just got a pacemaker last week and uh, so it's going to take a little bit as it was with um george probably takes a little bit for that ticker to get used to that thing running and um that would that would be at the top of my prayer list. Anybody else got anything on uh, prayer list? Uh,
0: Cassidy, my nail girl. She just had foot surgery. She's having a rough recovery.
1: Cassidy, foot surgery. Foot surgery. Cassidy isn't the one with the houses, is she? She's the same one. Yeah, yeah. I thought I need to put her in a bubble because it's one thing after another. With <laughs> I, I thought I thought I recognized a Cassidy. Um, with an H. With, Ch- with, with Ch- a what? H. Ch- Ch- Chastity. Chastity, Chastity. Chastity. Okay. okay. Pray for my hearing. All right. This morning, as we come back to. Hebrews, our study this morning is actually going to be in Genesis chapter 15, but we kick off with uh, Hebrews 6, which we should have finished off Thursday night, Um, and we'll pick right up where we left off last week, and verse 15, and so, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves. And with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God desired even more to show to his heirs of the promise of the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. So that the two unchangeable things in which it is impossible God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of our soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become the high priest, Forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And this is the word of the Lord. This morning we will begin with standing on the promises of God. Let us rise and remain uh, risen for the uh, morning. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for our assembly. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word that comforts us, it gives us courage, it convicts us where we are out of bounds to bring us back into. Your your word is a lamp unto our feet. I pray, Heavenly Father, for for all those in the sound of my voice as this goes out, both now and um, as we're streaming out and touching those at are with us, like Tim and Mom. We pray, Heavenly Father, that all of us uh, that guide us in the truth, guide the speaker in, in truth, and that this, those who are in the sound of my voice and discernment of your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Take our seats. We had, you know, when we when we speak about the message of God's word. And we see what there should be, a, when faith requires, uh, together with faith, there is uh, there is the timing. It'd be easy if we could, If uh, uh, it'd be easy in one aspect, if we could pray, and all of a sudden, boom, there we go. We've you know how how many of us would like to have the power of prayer? Get up in the morning. Oh, we got this problem. We pray for uh, chastity. Boom! Immediately it be done. Somebody uh, somebody's, somebody's hurt. Somebody we can pray, and immediately it be done. But it doesn't work like that. Along with the promises of God, along with our prayer life, there is a timing issue. That God that God answers prayers. He may answer no. He may answer yes. He may answer uh, a no, but I'll grant your desire. He may grant your desire in different ways, but he can also say wait, and oftentimes he does wait before we get an answer to that. The question is, will we be patient standing on the promises of God? Will we be patient knowing that our loving God has this in it? It's uh, one thing that... Um, one thing that uh, we used to do as leaders, when there were when there were a number of leaders, uh, like on the drill field, we um, a drill instructor, you know, like I'd be I'd, I'd be handling a recruit a certain way or a platoon a certain way, and um, and the senior drill instructor might come out and say, "Drill instructor, I got him." Well, God will say, "I got this." It's on our part to believe it as a church. I think as a church culture, and maybe not every church, but it would seem in our church culture that when we stop believing and trusting in the promise of God, we change the message. I mean, in um, the Great Commission, what's the Great Commission? Help me out. I'll ask you. What is the Great Commission?
0: Go out and make disciples.
1: Mm-hmm. What's that mean? go out and make disciples go out and make teach go out and make students of the word of god and that was jesus that was a great commission for jesus ascended to be to go to heaven when he ascended to be with the father that those last words most important words this is what you are do this is what you are to do while i am gone to make disciples to make students and um, and it's those disciples that respond to god's word but over Over the centuries, with for some reason or other, when we laid aside the promise of God that he was going to return, that he's going to return, it seemed like the church adopted a new message. That now we are to be kingdom builders. The Bible doesn't say anything about building God's kingdom. Um, And and it, it has been, it's been popularized in our time because people want to do something. They want to be active. They want to. They want to have a hand in what they are to have faith in coming. Christ is coming back, and He's bringing His kingdom with Him. And it's been two thousand years. I think we've gotten a little bit of laziness and waiting for the promises, and we want to do something. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't something to do. I'm not saying that we are couch potatoes and and taking in doctrine and not not having fruit that comes from of God created us for good works that we should walk in them there is something there are that there is that which we are to do but it comes out from our being disciples our fruit comes from the word of God which circulates within our hearts and as we come into, um, here we're talking about in 15, Hebrews chapter 15, or no, 6 verse 15. And so, having patiently waited to obtain the promise. And backing up just a little bit, um, because we got to find out who this it's talking about. For when God made the promise to Abraham... Since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. And we have to go back and Abraham is a wonderful, is a wonderful case study in faith. He, uh, we mentioned this last time. We can go ahead and start turning back to Genesis chapter 15. He's a wonderful case study in, in faith itself. Because he has failed so many times he has succeeded so many times, and that's out spiritual life. And, and listen, gentlemen, when, when, and if you got your spiritual footing, and you're growing in the Lord, and you, and, and as you're growing in the Lord, there's gonna be times when you're gonna trip. I hope not. But chances are you're going to trip. Chances are you're going to, um and I hope that you're bothered. and, And when I say trip, I mean you sin. And I hope that you're bothered by it. There's nothing worse than being a Christian, living in a carnal life, and being okay with it. That is misabusing the grace of God. That is saying, well, I'm covered by grace, I'm okay. What that tells me is you have zero love for God. Because you're, because when you're conscious, when, you're, when your conscience is bothering you, when, when you've, you've sinned, when you've gone out of bounds, and there's guilt and there's shame and there, and most of all, you've just you've just belittled God's name,'ve you've, you've, um, in a sense, well, what I normally talk about, you've taken God's name in vain. You're a Christian, but yet you're acting like the world. And if that doesn't bother you, there is a serious problem, more so than just your just your sin in itself. So Hebrews um, Hebrews uh, talks about falling away from the elementary things and um, setting that aside. It, when you're a spiritual baby, you start with you, you start with rebound. You start with you've learned the very basics of your salvation. And at some point you begin to grow. And when you start taking in the word of God and you're growing to the Lord and you've seen his hand in your life, you begin to fall, let's just say you fall in love with his word first and then you fall in love with him as it's the word doctrine that brings you to a relationship with him. And you guard your life. And, and these teachings that we've had in Hebrews, I hope they, they <laughs> give you, as they've given me, a personal sense of destiny. That there is a kingdom coming. Christ is coming. And when Christ is coming, He's bringing His reward with them. And I don't want to be in the weenie box. I don't want to be in the one, the spiritual weenie that, that spent their lives living according to the flesh. Somewhere along the line, you have to get your spiritual footing. I was, I was an, I was a believer for maybe four or five years. Before I got my spiritual footing, before I began to, before before um, my my buddy started discipling me when I met him and and we sat down and he began we began and I hope you guys have that opportunity that you'll be able to be discipled and and to disciple others with things you've learned here and teaching others it's a wonderful thing but in it you'll get your spiritual footing. And it's the writer who reminds his readers that there are better things to come. There are better things and that those better things are connected with your spiritual life, with your Christian way of life. It should be, there should be nothing more important in your life. Everything else should revolve around your relationship with Christ. Because there is coming a day of reckoning. There is coming a day when it's going to be well done. It's it's going to be graduation day. You know, our hearts bleed for those who have gotten the news that, that well, odds have it. We don't know. But with if we count on what the doctors say, they may not have long on this earth. If the Lord has given you or if the if the doctors say you've only got six weeks, six months, a month, that you don't have long, that the cancer's taking over, or your heart problem isn't taking over. And it's tragic news. It's like I mentioned Pop last week. He got the news along with another guy. Another man. And Pop walked out like, well, it was a diagnosis. He would take two aspirins and you'll get over it in the morning. Pop walked out and, Okay. I'm going to die. I I know it's, you even know, I know it's coming soon. Doctor gave him about 6 months. And he walked out in the waiting room. Here's a here's another guy in the waiting room. He's just broken and he's devastated. Cuz he got some of the same kind of news. And it doesn't you know, and our hearts grow our hearts are heavy. You know, if if my wife if I had received that news, my wife there'll be a time that my wife would be grieving over that news, right? Vice versa. If I knew I was going to lose my wife here soon, that's going to grieve me. Or or our parents are going to grieve you. But you know, the the reality is the fact that we don't know if we have one day left. We don't know if we're going to make it through this day, ladies and gentlemen. You know, so... um, so we should be prepared for that time to come. We must come to understand that there is more to the Christian life than being saved and going to heaven. We must understand that there is a spiritual life. So Hebrews 6:13 uh, 6, 6, um, going back to that I don't, you don't have to turn there but because we're going Genesis. For when God made promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater. Oh, okay, he. I screw up on my notes here. Okay, that's all right. Then. Okay, going back to. Okay, so. Um, yeah, since he couldn't he couldn't swear by no one greater, he swore by his own words. So when we co- so it's coming back to Abraham. Let's go back to Abraham with me. Genesis chapter fifteen. Now Abraham. After these things, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, "Do not fear, Abraham, for I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great." At this time, Abraham, Abraham had conquered the five kings of the east. He had defeated them, and um, and that was no like do he had 318 men from his household plus his allies and these five kings just defeated or as you we were four kings of the east defeated the five kings of of the Sodom and Gomorrah area and they had taken off the plunder including Abraham's family and they had taken and they uh, when I say Abraham's family I mean his cousin Lot or nephew Lot and chased them all the way up as far as Dan, and Abraham had a great defeat against the Keturahmer, and he rescued his uh, his nephew Lot, the family there, and, and the people, and brought them back. So it was a great. There was a great um, defeat. He had a great defeat or a great victory. He had come back. He had communion with uh, Melchizedek. And in this, he, Abraham demonstrated faith and he, he took a step forward. And so we come to 15. So after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not fear, Abram. I am the shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. <laughs> That's wondering, you know, the one thing that you see throughout the Testament. What was it that Abram, and this is something we can ponder, what was it that Abram was concerned with what was he afraid what what was it that abraham abraham was a great warrior and he tells abraham stop being afraid uh, you know your reward is going to be very great maybe it's just he was worried for his inheritance and maybe that was uh that was on his on on his mind at this point verse 2 abraham said oh lord god what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer the Damascus of Damascus? Um, see, the promise was that Abram was to have a son um, from his own loins. You know, he had you had the promises going back to Genesis chapter twelve that there was a seed promise, that there was a nation, and at this point his name is still Abram. Which means, um, exalted father. Um, not Abraham, which means father of the multitudes. Things were getting, Abraham had to wait upon the Lord. Things were getting, things were getting, they weren't getting no younger. And every year was further and further away from that promise that Sarah, his wife, was, was old. And beyond uh, childbearing years. And um, it didn't look good. And here's God God who promised. And so, what was the responsibility? God had promised. Can God go back on his promise? Why?
0: Because he he's, he's, um, he's immutable. He's
1: not going to change. He doesn't change. He's also veracity. He doesn't lie. Based on who and what God is, he cannot lie. And you see, every time that Abraham failed, he failed the same way that we fail. Abraham failed the same way that we often fail. How is that? When we have a lack of faith, what is a lack of faith? What is it when we begin to stumble on the promises of God? Sin. Sin. Um, this can be kind of a sin, but um more specifically, that's a broad category, not necessarily sin. We might be you know, what causes our worry? No faith. No faith. Flesh. Flesh. Well, you touch around it, but the um it, it's the same way. We get the wrong view of God. We take our eyes off God. And we put them on the circumstances around us. Exactly what Peter did when Peter got out that boat. When Peter got out that boat, when, he, when Jesus, when he said, give me, call, call me, Lord, and I'll come on over. He said, Come on. He jumps out of the boat. He's doing just fine on a few steps for how many steps he went. But what happened? He took his eyes off the Lord and began to look about the circumstances around it. And he began to sink. We, in a sense, do the same thing. We take our eyes off of the promise of God and when we do not just the promise of God but off the character of God. We forget who God is really essentially. And if God could speak to us what he would say is and when we're sitting there we're breaking down. We're worrying. We're, 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 we're rubbing our hands and we're, we're upset and we're, we're going um, we're, we're falling apart. If the Lord, if the Lord wanted to talk to us right there, he'd say, "Why? Wow, why are you?" He would say, "You have little faith." And every time he said to the disciples, "You have little faith," he was saying, "Really, you've got your eyes off God." Um, to another man, I'm, I'm forgetting who this is. Uh, to the, to the guy, he wanted healing for his son. I think, if I remember right, you look it up. But the man said. You know, and the Lord said, You have little faith. And the man says, Help me with my unbelief. But if the Lord look at you, he could say, Great, wow. Why are you upset? Why are you worried? Who's got the hand who's got the handle on this? And of course you would say, Well, you do, Lord. Exactly. And who am I? And that's when you say, Well, you're omniscient. You're on the present. You're immutable. You're I can count on your word. We'll focus on that. Fix your eyes on the author and the perfecter of your faith. So Abraham, we see here in, in 15, Abraham takes a step forward. He takes a he's he takes a step forward in faith, and then he's good to go. The Lord's talking to him, and all of a sudden. He goes from pistis to apistis. What's the difference between pistis and apistis?
0: Belief and unbelief.
1: Very good. Belief and unbelief. We go from. How quick can we go from belief and unbelief? Quick. Okay. <laughs> Going back to Peter. Remember Peter said uh, the Lord says to Peter who do they say that I am? And he tells him, well you're the Messiah you're the prophet. Who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah. Well very good Peter. You um, very good because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you but the Father in Heaven and almost the next sentence he said, he said, he's, uh, when the Lord says he has to go to the cross, the Lord says you know, it. I forbid it, I forbid it you can't go to the cross And he, what that, the Lord says get behind me Satan so he goes from pistis to apistis just like that, and that's the way we do we go back and forth that's why we need to keep our situation awareness this is where Abraham is at this point. Abraham said, O Lord, verse 2, O Lord, God, what will you give me since I am childish in the heir, of my, the house of my Eleazar of Damascus? And Abraham said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in the house is my heir. It's almost an indictment against the Lord, isn't it? Lord, you, you're not fulfilling your promises. So, since you can't Fulfill your promises, I have to get Eliezer in Damascus to be my heir. Then, behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but the one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Didn't the Lord do the same thing with the sand? He said, He said, count uh, if you could count the sand. Then so shall your descendants be, because Abraham's descendants will be both a physical, a racial, a physical seed, and it's also has and it's going to also be a spiritual seed. You and I are Abraham, like the stars in the heaven. We are the spiritual, we are the spiritual seed of Abraham, modeled by his faith, which we'll talk about, uh, which we'll talk about here and coming up. Then the Lord, word, then the, behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, "This man." shall not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your body, and he shall not be your heir. And he took him outside, gave him an object lesson. Now look toward the heavens, and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed, this is important, because here is the um, here is the model for our faith. Here it is that. Then he believed in the Lord and it reckoned him for righteousness. So important that it comes here. And it's very important that we also look at what kind of righteousness that we're looking at. Um, then he believed in the Lord and reckoned to him for righteousness. Okay, Abraham, let me ask you a question here. Abraham, would you say when was it that Abraham became a believer?
0: When he obeyed him. When I think prior. Prior to this. Do we have any
1: indications of this?
0: He 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 did what he was told. Took his son on the mountain, like God said, and then God put a sacrifice before him. Oh, that was that
1: was later on. Yeah. That was later on. We're talking about prior to this.
0: Ur, yeah. What did he when, when he, he left Ur of Chaldees. When he Ur, Ur of
1: Chaldees, we actually find that in Hebrews chapter less eleven. By faith he left he left the Ur Ur of Chaldees to go to a land which he did not know, and that was by faith. He believed in the promise of God. Then. So what do we have here? In chapter 6, then he then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it for him as righteousness. You've got two types of righteousness. You've got positional righteousness. And you've got experiential righteousness. Positional righteousness, experiential righteousness. You can almost call them permanent and temporal righteousness. And at the point of positional righteousness is at the point of faith alone and Christ alone. It is at the point that we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life.
0: That's permanent.
1: That's permanent. Positional. What it does is it takes you from being a a uh, what would what does the Bible call it? son of disobedience. When we were born, we were all born with a handicap. We were born physically alive but spiritually dead, parted from a relationship with God. The best of us, it doesn't matter how moral you are, it doesn't matter how good you are, it doesn't matter how people think you are and who you are, you are lost. The best of us are lost without Christ. It is not about behavior, it's about position. It is, it is sloppy gospel to, for me to stand up here and to get you as if I was doing a, a, a evangelist class if I, or if I was doing a revival. And I'm sitting here up here and I'm telling you, you are a sinner, you are a drunkard, you are a smoker, you are, you are a conniver. You've done this and you've done that and you need to come to God and you need to um, tell God how sorry you are for all your sins. Now that may be easy when you are talking to a bunch of scoundrels, but how about talking to a bunch of religious folks? Folks that may have been in the, in the church all their lives. People that see themselves, their lives as, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a good husband, good wife. I, I, I'm good parents. I pillar a community. I give. I do this. It's hard to convince them that they are, that they need the Lord. That they're not right with the Lord. Because it's not about behavior. It's about your position. And it's our position in Adam. Because when Adam died, we all died. The corporate head is Adam. And we are in Adam when we come into this world. Adam's sin Adam's sin was let's just say corporation. When I say corporation it's, how do I explain this? Okay, Michael Works for a company, and um, and he's got a CEO ahead of that company, and um, and let's just say that CEO ran off with all the money. Okay, well that's the CEO. That's his, but will you know? And 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 that hurts. But who gets hurt? Everyone in that company. Not only everyone in that company, but their families get hurt and everything because of what the corporate head did. Or if that corporate head just closed the doors, it would hurt everybody. Adam was a corporate head of the human race. When he fell, it hurt all of us. We are born. We are born um, into a and under the corporate head of Adam, and we are all dead. It's not about our behavior. See, and the scariest thing is there are a lot of people who think I'm good to go because of my behavior is right. You know, there's going to be people that will get into heaven that's going to be surprised that they're there. Because they walked like the world, they acted like the world, they remained sinners and Yes, people will argue whether or not, but it's not about behavior. Positional sanctification is what Christ did for you, and the only thing that you did was to respond to the gospel message. Jesus Christ provides eternal life for anyone that trusts in Him. That is positional, and that worked all the way back in the day of Adam, or and yes, in the day of Adam, through Abraham, even in the church age, our faith is believing and trusting in the promises of God in regards to our salvation, in regards to our redemption, in regards to Redeemer, to believe in the promises. So, Abraham. So, when we're looking at 15.6, are we talking about positional sanctification? Or positional, we can say positional sanctification or positional righteousness. Then he believed in the Lord and it reckoned him for righteous. Is this positional or is this experiential? If it's not positional, it has to be experiential. What do you think? It has to be experiential because he's already a believer. He's already fought the enemy. He's already left Ur of Chaldees. He's already believed that there was, there is a a, um, a seed promise. A land promise, a blessing promise. So let's talk about experiential. Experiential righteousness is your walk in the Lord. It's your day-to-day believing and trusting in the Lord. And there are, and believing, believing is your, believing after your redemption Believing after that is the fact that you are walking in the righteousness of God. You're walking in a way that is worthy of your calling. And this is Abraham. At that point, he believed in the promise. It means that, as it is in going back to Hebrews chapter 6, or no, Hebrews 11, I believe it's verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Or going back to three is that it is, or verse two is this is how men of old gained approval with God. And when you believe, and what belief is, ladies and gentlemen, what pistis is? One form of pistis is accrediting to another. A credit to another, and I say a credit. I'm, I'm, I should say, acknowledging the character of another who you push your trust in. When I believe in Grady, that Grady can perform a certain task, and I can trust him. I say, Grady, get this done. I need A, B, and C, and I can turn away and walk away. And I get I'm trusting in him. To do what I said he is going to do. I know he's capable and I don't have to look over his shoulder. And I know that he, he can let me down, of course, but I am accredited him with trust and he could, he could roll his shoulders back and he could say, you know, I'm being trusted with this and I'm going to do my best job at this. And we do the same thing with God. When, when I say I am trusting in God, I am having faith in God. I'm believing as Abraham did in chapter 6 here. I'm believing in God. I'm saying, Lord, I'm and, and basically I'm saying, I'm holding you accountable. And I can do that with all the trust and all the confidence. Because I don't hold you accountable. You hold yourself accountable. What we said earlier, on the basis of who and what God is. When, when, I, when I am believing, I'm believing in the very character of God to handle my every situation. I am believing in God's love, His righteousness, His justice, His immu- um, immutability, His veracity, His omniscience, that He's able to see all things, His omnipresence, everything about God. And when I, when I say I am trusting in Him, I am, it's in view of everything that I know about God. What is the most important doctrine that you need to know, first and foremost? Anybody? What is the most important doctrine that you need to know? The essence of God doctrine. You need to know who your God is. You need to know who God is. Because if you don't know who God is, then your faith, what kind of faith you're going to have. See, I've told you before that faith is not based on how strong that you're able to believe. It's not based on how, if, if you just believe. You see, it's senseless for me to 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 look at a Amanda's, you know, mom is going through some things and it's sinless, senseless for me to say, you just got to have faith. When she's never in her Bible, we know, I'm just using that because we know better that But it's, it's that you're never in your Bible, you're never studying, you don't give God a time of day. And for me to say, you just got to have faith. I can't say that about her, but I can say that about your mom. She could say it about me. If if I'm going some things or I'm I'm going your mom can say it to her dad. Dad, you dad, you gotta have faith. Do you remind me to go back? Because if I'm faltering, as you all can falter in faith, and and you get a little wobbly legged, you see the enemy coming over the hill, and to sit to for war, for, and I love you all. I really do. Because, you know, not just that you're my family, not because you're just a congregation, but because you are of the Lord. I love Tim, not just because we've got a history together, but he loves the Lord. Yvonne loves the Lord. Can, do you understand what I'm saying? Those I have, those whom I, I'm closest to, are those. Who genuinely love the Lord? Because we have we have a common connection, and um, you know we you know I talk you know we talk about Steve. Why do we love Steve so much? Because he's one of the most devout people I know. His love for the Lord is genuine, and so when when any of us have A situation when we're stumbling, we can say to any one of us, Mike, gotta have faith, buddy, gotta have faith. My brother Mike, same thing. I could say to my brother Mike, stick with the faith, Mike. Stay, keep, keep your focus on who and what God is. Take your eyes off the circumstances enough to see who who has control. Of those circumstances. That is experiential righteousness. Is believing in who and what God is. Verse 7 of Genesis chapter 15. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldees to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord, God, and again... Again, it's, it wasn't enough for the Lord to say, "Say it." The Lord, uh, you know, for Abraham at this point. Remember, Abraham's getting wobbly leg here. You see, he's looking at the circumstances. He's looking at the age of Sarah. He's looking at his age, and he hasn't had a son yet. Isaac hasn't come yet, and he don't know if he's ever going to have a son. And God says it's going to happen, but what does he say? He turns around. He says. He said, Oh Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, bring me a three... This is God saying to him. Now, stop right there at eight. This, The Lord's grace and his love for us is just super. Because God could have smacked Abraham upside the back the head and say, Abraham, who... Abram, who am I? Who are you talking to? You think you are talking to, Abram? You want me to show you and give you some proof of my faith? It's like Gideon when Gideon said, laid out the fleece. You study that in Judges. You know, so that so that God can give him some proof of who he is. Really Gideon? Really Abraham? But nonetheless, the Lord says, Okay, I'm going to accommodate you. He goes, God, he said, O Lord God, Uh, well, no, it's Abraham. Abraham says, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? And he, the Lord, said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite of the other. But he did not cut the birds. The birds, okay, stop right there. So what he did is this the um from the law of Hammurabi, probably. And back in the ancient days, this is what they what they did. And they would take take these sacrifices, they would bring these sacrifices in, and, and they would divide the sacrifices. all oh, except for the birds. They were they were too little. They put a bird here and a bird here they would they would divide these sacrifices one here and one here. They divide another sacrifice one here and one here. Another sacrifice one here and one here. And what they would do is I would I would make a contract with Grady, and I said Grady you know okay we're gonna buy we're gonna I'm gonna sell you this house. And um, you're gonna pay me five hundred dollars a month for this house until it's paid off. And there was no sign contract on this. You agreed verbally. I agreed verbally. And what we would do at that point is we would hold hands. And we would walk through the sacrifices. And it was kind of a indictment kind of thing. It said, or an image kind of thing, in that whoever breaks this covenant, whoever breaks this oath, may whatever happen to them uh, of these split animals, may it happen to you. May it may this happen to you. If you, you know, Grady, if you break this contract, may, <laughs> may it be like these animals that was cut in half and put in there. Same thing with me. If I break this covenant, may it happen to me the same way here. Okay. So Abraham said, "Fine, okay, we'll do this." God's what God is doing right here is is he's getting ready to bind himself. God condescends himself. What does condescension mean? Big word. You guys are in high school. I'm asking these guys over here. What does condescension mean? Means lowering yourself to man's level. Um, You know, to be condescending, I put myself down on your level. I may be on an upper level, but I bring myself down to your level. That's what the Lord does. He brought himself down to Abraham's level. He says, "Fine, we'll make this covenant. I'm going to make an oath. I'm going, to, I'm going to, like like you understand an oath. I'm going to bind myself to this." Oath. <coughs> Abraham says, "Good, fine. I think I can count on this. Okay, good to go." And so he took these animals, and he and that night he that he, oh, that day he split these animals. He got them, he split them out. He got everything set up to make this contract. Verse nine. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought all these and cut them in two and laid each half opposite each other. But he did not cut the birds. And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, yet Abram drove them away. Okay. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and behold, the terror, great darkness fell upon him. Okay, notice this: that this covenant wasn't made when everything was great and rosy, but it was when it was dark, when it was when evil was in the world. Because it, 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 when evil is in the world, when evil is present, because evil darkness is a picture of evil, and basically, not only listen. The darkness was a picture of evil bearing witness to what was going on. And was this only for Abraham's benefit? Or was God drawing the line in the sand for Satan as well? Say, because in the, in the, um, even in the, in the, um, folk, even with darkness, even in the darkness, even when the worst of it, and and in our world, listen. Here's a picture, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. The world is not getting any better, and the world is getting dark. Maybe in our circumstances, and right now in this uh, present company right now, unless, unless uh, I don't know or whatever, but in some in some households and some homes. There is the circumstances is, is, is devastating. And, you know, it's, I could imagine getting up every morning, being hurt, being sick, or having a loved one who's dying. We're we've, we've praying for Pastor Dan in, in Austin, who's, whose wife is in the hospice, and he's going through a lot of things. And you wake up every morning with the same, you know, dread. Um, or oh, you have worries of this, that, and the other thing. You see, this covenant was made in the darkness. This covenant was made, uh, you know, and so we can count on the darkest of darkest days. We can count on the Lord to fulfill his promises, to be true to his promises. And terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Here is the covenant. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. We are seeing here a short-term prophecy. Now you might think that this has to do with Israel, this has nothing to do with us, but it does. Hang on. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. Has this happened... Has it? Yes. Michael? Yes. yes it has. Tell when has this happened? This is Egypt. Israel. This is Egypt. This is Exodus. So is Michael, let me ask you a question. Is this a story or is this a historical account? Let it's, me. it's a historical account. It's record. We know it to be true. God was faithful, exactly what he said to Abraham, exactly what was going this was a short term prophecy. That was fulfilled by God. It, it was a step to say that God is true. Now he says to Abraham, As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Beautiful here, because the Amorite, he gives them 400 years of grace. He gives them time to repent. The Amorites who are going downhill, they are going to judgment. The Lord says, I'm going to hold on. And you see how God is. How God is. We can pray. We're going. And our subject, remember, is about waiting. Waiting upon the promises of God. And sometimes the Lord says, wait. Because he's also dealing with something else as well. Uh, he could the, the Israelites could have been praying for the land and and uh, God has a timing for everything. For Abraham, I've got a timing for you, Abraham. I've got a seed for you. I've, I've got land, seed, and blessing. I promise for you, you're going to have it because I said so. That guarantees you're going to have it. And he and so he gives him this prophecy. This is short term prophecy. He's not going to see this. But his people, by the record, they're going to see it. And they're going to know that God is true. So it came about when the sun had set. You know what's interesting is, he's talking about darkness up here. But now the sun has set. Alright? And behold, it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and flaming torch which passed through the pieces. What's, any, any idea what the flame, uh, what the smoking oven or the flaming torch is? <clears throat> we also, keep, keep in mind we're talking about Israel, future Israel. Keep in mind we're talking about the exodus. What do you think? What comes to my mind is when you're reading the story of the exodus, You had the pillar of smoke and the column of fire that led them by the day and by night. The pillar of fire gave them light at night and the pillar of smoke guarded their way. So this this is the presence of God. They knew that the presence of God was there when there was the pillar of fire and the smoke. And that's what I see here with the smoking oven and the flaming torch that passed through these pieces. School! question this flaming torch passed between the pieces the smoking oven and flaming torch passed between the pieces you had the two things here um, we could almost say that it was the father and the son I don't know but you could you might be able to say that um, but uh what was Abraham doing God even... huh Sleeping, sleeping. He, was, he was sleeping Abraham was sleeping he was dead asleep He God, the Lord was speaking to him in a dream so God went through these pieces the Lord went through these pieces the sacrifice by himself what's that tell us about the promises of God it tells us that the Lord holds himself accountable. The Lord's holding himself. Not Abraham. Abraham's asleep. He didn't go through this. Remember what we said. When they go through the pieces, they're holding hands to go through the pieces to get the, together. And whoever, I mean, they're, we're equally accountable. When me and Grady went through these pieces, we're equally accountable. But Abraham was asleep. He didn't go through. Just the Lord. And so it doesn't... It's not based upon behavior. Now, believe me. Even by grace, the Lord will discipline us when we go about living as as we want to live, in the sense of living like the world, acting like the world, debauchery. We we're taking the Lord's name in vain, and in the sense that we are, um, we're living in sin. The Lord will discipline his children, but you will not lose your salvation. And the same way with Israel, you will hear people say that Israel is no longer God's people. They are no longer God's people because they failed and God divorced them. And they go back to Jeremiah on that, but they should read the whole passage when it says that. Israel is still are still God's people. They may still to this day be the most decadent people and still the most stiff necked people, but they're still God's people because it's not about them, but it's about God's promise to Israel. So what he's saying to, to him, let's just read on here. He says, "As for you, verse fifteen: As for you, you shall go." To your fathers in peace, you will be buried in a good old age, and on a fourth generation you will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun was set and very dark, there appeared a smoking iron or a smoking oven and a flaming torch passed between those pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, "To your descendants I have given you this land, from the river Egypt to the river." Uh, to the great river Euphrates, the Canaanites, the Kizanite, and the Caddoite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Raphaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Kizzitite, and the Jebusite. So, so there is there is a time. Wait, there is a passage of time coming back to Hebrews, and so the Lord. Let's read. read. Come back here. So he, the Lord holds himself to an oath. School. I've I've asked you a question before on this. This is a review question. What are and and my and and listen. It's my opinion. So you can you just go with me on this. What are the two most powerful words? There's two. Actually, two groups of two words in the Bible. What is the most powerful words in the Bible spoken by the Lord? I am. I am. That's probably the most. I am because that requires all it calls to mind all integrity, everything that all all that God is. What's the other two words? I will. I will. I will. Exactly. Because I will. When God says I will, listen, you know, and when He makes that covenant, now, you may have the best integrity in the world that, that, that anybody can speak of. And when you say you're going to do something, you're going to be something. And, and maybe 10 o'clock uh, next Saturday morning, uh, I want you to help me and change some tires on my truck. And you say, I'll be there. And I can count on you. I know you're going to be there. But what happens if you break your leg? What happens is, is there some situation that can prevent you from fulfilling your promise? Yeah. Yes, there are some situations where you where you can't fulfill your promise. You might be sick, maybe anything. You might die. You don't know. But King, when God says I will, is there anything that can prevent Him from fulfilling what God said? No. He says I will. Powerful two words. Powerful. Go we'll back to chapter six with me, uh, Hebrews chapter six. We'll start with thirteen. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. You know when we were adolescents, how, what would? How do we? How, remember when we were adolescents? How did we swear when we were? I don't know. If, I don't know if you did it back. Amanda probably did it. You boys, probably, I don't know if. They still had it when you guys were around. Remember how we swear? How we would? How we would put our own? Um, how we would make an oath? Um, let me see if I remember. Um, you know, um, uh, we might say, "I swear on my mother's grave," or um, Pinky swear." Piggy swear. Pinky swear. Or uh, what was that? Uh, <clears throat> um. Stick a needle in my, or uh, hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Remember that. And those are those are things that I, you know. I'm saying once I say that and make that vow, it's kind of like saying, you can count on me to do this. You know, no kidding. I, you know, uh, uh, I swear, I swear to God. Hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. You ever see people wear patches on there? Might have made that might have went back on their promises when they were kids, but we make those adolescence, adolescence vows. The Bible actually says make no vow, but let your yes be yes and a no be a no. But God, when God, when he made a vow here to Abraham, he will not break it. And Abraham, who who did God swear to? There was no one higher for God to swear to except by his own name. And you see, what does this mean to us? Is, is that if God breaks his promise to Israel. He can break his promise to us. And just as Abraham had to wait. For the promises to be fulfilled. Doesn't mean that. Um, doesn't mean that. Uh, well it's, it's a pattern for us. That there's times when we have to wait. For God's promises. This world is getting dark. There's uncertainties in this world. And there are people counting on. The situation being better tomorrow. Than what it is today. What happens if it's not. But our trust is in the Lord. And our trust is in the Lord. Because we know his character. And we know his promises. And what the politicians do, what, what things that we see in this world doesn't negate God's promises. Yes, we have to wait. And, but if we wait and we die, does that mean God is unfaithful? You know, God can fulfill, God can answer our prayers after we've died. And long after, and our faith later on, and we may see our promises to us be, um, um, be to our offspring. But there is a resurrection. And we do believe in the resurrection. We'll be back. And this is exciting. But we have to wait. And so, um, 14 saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise of God. You see, waiting upon the Lord isn't a positional sanctification, positional righteousness. It is experiential righteousness. It is the righteousness of time. You know your God so well that you stand upon His word and not by what you see. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show, not just to say, but show to the heirs of the promise the the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. So there's two things that the Lord That that we can count on. First of all, the Lord gives us his word. Second of all, he gives us an oath. There's an oath in his word. Both of them. So, by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. And this is the case that the Lord... That the writers of Hebrew saying hold fast. Remember what six chapter six started out with. Don't fall away from your faith. Don't lose what you've gained. You've got your spiritual footing. Keep going to no matter how hard it gets, keep going for the high ground. And it's going to get hard. And I tell you, and I warn you guys not to not to bring you into worry. I say this not for you worry, but The next generation is going to be a lot harder than our generation. Do you understand that? That's reality. You're in the game there, Wally Gunner. You're in the game, Grady. Don't give up. Keep pressing for the high ground. And and keep your confidence in the Lord every step of the way. And bring others with you. Let that be your hope. Let that be your refuge. He was faithful to Abraham. He will be faithful to you. This hope we have as an anchor of our soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which sinners enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, and become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. All right, uh, let's see if I can bring up my uh, PowerPoint, son. It should be all the way down on the bottom there. Okay, there you go. And we got that. All right. Should be there. All right, points in summary. What we've learned today. Let's see if we've covered everything. Number one, God offers up two unchangeable proofs of His trustworthiness His word and His oath. Okay? Number two, God swears an oath. By his own name. There is not a higher... There is not a higher name by what God can swear of. When he swears, he's bringing his full integrity upon the line. When God says, Amen, Amen, we see that lot in there. Remember? Amen, Amen, Truly, Truly. It is God summing up all of his integrity, his honor, His everything that he is. You see... We would lose big if God pulled the rug out from under us and we still go to hell even after we believed in Christ. We would lose big, but God would lose bigger. He would he would lose everything that he is. Okay, three. God swearing by God's own name places his own integrity on the line. Name means a noma, and a name a noma, and it not only means. And a name can be a personal name like Chris or Grady or Amy, but it it can it can also mean reputation. God's reputation. He places his reputation on his on his word. Okay. Four. That oath benefits the believer both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The oath benefits. Uh, back up. Um. The The Old Testament is a record of God's faithfulness. And if he can, like like I said today, if he can go back on his promises that he made to Abraham's seed line, to his people, then he can go back on the promises he made to us. Five. The believer is to know God's promises. The strength of your faith. You're for us. For God he made the promises. For us, it is to know the promises. You cannot claim what you do not know. So therefore, we are to know God's promises. Number six. Time does not nullify God's promises. Though it's been thousands of years um, since the, since Christ has, uh, 2,000 years since Christ ascended into heaven. It doesn't nullify his promise. He's coming back. We could be excited. Listen, we're closer, we're closer to time Jesus coming back than we've ever been. He could come back today. He could come back at any particular time. It's that close. In reality, we are all going to be separated from the body. Whether we're going to be raptured out of here or we're going to die of some sickness. Or get ran over by a train. A lot of respectable people get ran over by a train. Um, whatever it is, we're going. We're going to leave this world, and we are going to be out from the body, and we'll be face to face with the Lord. We're going to see that God is true to His promises. Number seven: Living is living in uncertain times does not make the future uncertain. <laughs> Living in uncertain times does not make the future certain. You should be living a life that's sanctifying the Lord God in your heart and being ready to give an answer for the hope that's found in you. Because when they when they ask you why why is your life all put together when everybody else is falling apart, well, let me tell you, you knocked on my door, I didn't knock on yours. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Eight. Hey, We are to follow the pattern of Abraham's faith and stand on the promises of God. And in conclusion, one more. Don't say how you're upholding God's holy name. Don't say it. Demonstrate it. Demonstrate by your thoughts, your decisions, your actions. And how you stand upon the promise of God. Don't, Don't be falling apart now listen, when I say that, there's gonna be times when we're going to be have tears, okay? There's gonna be times when he can go ahead and give him my screen There's gonna be times when we're just gonna break down. Sometimes sometimes we need that release. I'm not saying that we don't break down. I'm not saying that there's not a time to grieve. There is. Solomon said there's a time to grieve. There's a time to celebrate. So I'm not saying that, but I'm saying when when you when your life just becomes so devastated that you cannot even function or thinking anymore, then then you need to check your situational awareness. Where are you in your relationship with the Lord? Those times are going to come when you're when there's going to be time for grieving. But your stand on the Lord and knowing his promises will bring you back into, will we'll get you footing. You pick your gun back up. You snivel a little bit. Pick your gun up, and you continue to fight. Because as long as you're here, God's got a purpose for your life. All right. So, with that said, we're going to close out our service today with 10,000 reasons to serve, To close out the re- all right All um, right. Let us stand remain standing for a closing prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for being our God. How you condescending yourself down to bring us into promises that can never be broken because they depend upon your character. And I pray, Heavenly Father, with the grace that's bestowed upon us and the mercy that we will respond in thanksgiving. Teach us how to walk in your way righteously that we can give back to you as a living sacrifice our all a most noble character walking in thee, obeying your commandments that we may stand before thee without spot and without blemish having been sanctified by your holy word and by the blood of Christ that bled for us. And I pray, Heavenly Father, all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling to make you stand in the presence of His glory blameless and great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority for all time, both now and forevermore. Amen.